Welcome everyone to Praxis No Filter, our message behind the blog. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie, and I am excited, excited to introduce you to our guest, Shernetta Harrell. She is a social worker in the school system in Wake County in North Carolina. She is a bona fide wife, a mom, and lives her life for his glory. Further, her tagline centers at the intersection of social work and encouraging women. And I can't think of a more thoughtful human to join us on Practice No Filter as we think about our emotional wellness than my sis in Christ and Soror. Shernetta, how you doing, sis? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, I'm so, so excited about today's conversation. Um, and I just can't wait to dive in. I am excited for people to hear you through this channel, although some may know you already because you are out here definitely doing the work. <laughs> and amidst this 100 plus day sheltering, who's counting though? Right. What are you learning about yourself as a wife, as a mom, a clinician, and a believer? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, with all of those different titles and all of those different purposes, um, you know, in a hundred plus days of us being quarantined and, um, you know, it just feels like the world has been on a pause. Mm. Um, and I think for me, um, you know, what I'm learning, um, is that there's a, a hunger for God, Come on. um, you know, in all areas of my life. So, you know, as a wife, you know, um, I'm hungry for, you know, how can I be, you know, how can I serve my husband better, you know, as a, as a mom, how can I be more present um, and glorify God, you know, as a mom, um, you know, as a social worker, you know, how can, um, you know, I be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and in, in serving his people, mm. um, you know, so in this season, I think for me, it's really been, I'm learning that I really do need God. <laughs> Listen, undoubtedly. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I want to get into this blog and, and continue on with that need for God that you just expressed. So this week's blog was entitled, He is the Ultimate Care Emoji. And it's based upon something I've noticed while sheltering in place, and perhaps you have as well, that over the last 100 plus days, we've witnessed death as a result of COVID-19, as well as death as a result of hate, essentially. And in reading posts mm -hmm. on social media timelines, it got to the extent that I could not endorse the pain and uncertainty that was shared via an emoji. It just, it felt inauthentic. And even as Facebook deployed the care emoji, it was a reminder that God is the ultimate caregiver and only he can adequately assist us as we navigate trauma. So as a clinician and a believer, share with us, if you will, how those two identities operate in your life and any advice you have for others as a result of that. Yeah. So, you know, this is a question, um, believe it or not, that um, I receive often. So lots of times people ask me, you know, how do you see the world through the lens of, you know, being a believer and being a social worker? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think for me, um, and this is something that I learned when I was in graduate school, um, I had a professor who, you know, really introduced this, you know, uh, 
triangle method of three questions. And the thing that, you know, really resonated with me was, um, you know, she said, when you meet with, you know, um, a client or, you know, when you're in an aspect of faith, three questions that you should ask yourself is, um, what does the Holy Spirit think about Mm. this? What does your, your board think about this? And, you know, essentially, what do you think about this? Um, and that really has guided me um, in a lot of um, things that kind of intersect. Um, and I think that even um, for me, um, you know, as this, this time of, you know, pause and COVID-19, um, I've been really thinking about, you know, um, work-wise and in the faith, you know, how do all of those three questions, how do they drive me ethically and morally and spiritually as well? Yeah. Um, you know, above all else, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, is at the center um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, even as a social worker, um, you know, the, the lines are blurred Yeah, <laughs> because, you know, um, you know, my faith is it, it rains. So, you know, there are some times where, you know, it, it gets kind of tricky. But, you know, those three questions really do, um, you know, kind of drive me in some of my hard, hard, um, my heart moments. And I think when talking to other people and encouraging them, um, I always encourage them that where does your help come from? Um, You know, and I think that, you know, in a world where everyone is not a believer, you know, I always ask people, where does your help come from? Um, People have some type of faith that they can glean from. So, yeah. Oh, that's super powerful. When you think about, I love that point of just lifting up because everyone doesn't identify as a believer. And if we're being honest and authentic, mm-hmm. we don't always create the best conditions as believers for other people to tap into and, and connect to it. So when you consider this concept of wellness, what do you feel like are the tangible things that are available to us that maybe we overuse? And then what are the options available that we either are ignorant of or we don't put any any wealth or value in that could actually help us? Yeah. So, you know, I think when I think about some, you know, when I think about our society and what's being, you know, kind of overused or, you know, what's being untapped, um, I always think about self-care, right? So we are in this you know, generation where everybody is like, you know, self-care Sunday and, you know, all this self-care <laughs> stuff. But, you know, I, I think, and I had a conversation um, a few days ago about this, you know, self-care is a daily Come on. thing. Um, and and it, it's something that, you know, I think sometimes people, when they think self-care, they think, oh, I need to go to the spa or, you know, oh, I need to go to the beach. And that's okay. I mean, that certainly is a form of self-care. But I think when we talk about self-care being overused and untapped, we forget that self-care is a daily habit. It's a habit of quiet time. It's a habit of you know, taking a hot shower is what you eat, is what you listen to, is what you watch, um, is what you think. Um, so I think that, you know, sometimes we have to remember that self-care is something that is available to us, but we have to learn how to steward that. Um, uh, because I think that word, those two words, um, is kind of top. Yeah. Yeah. It's become that, <laughs> you know, right. It's, it's, it's become like, okay girl like we're gonna do self-care once a week right (laughs) and it's like 
No, we need to do self care from the time we wake up to the time we Come go to on. bed. That is so true. Um, yes. So that's kind of you know what I think the main um, you know thing is, and you know you and I are black women. And I think that, um, you know, from our experiences and from our lens and how we view life, I do think that self-care is vital. Um, And I think that we have to tap more into, okay, how am I really caring for myself? I think that is so powerful. And, And what I even appreciated is how you said from the time we wake up to the end of the day, because we can't uh, just all of a sudden go to a spa in the middle of the day when we're having difficulty with an, a colleague or a project is frustrating us. Number one, we probably shouldn't do that kind of thing any rate. <laughs> you know, right, but now we really right. can't because we don't have those options available to us as much while we're sheltering. So what you're talking about, the music, what you're listening to, how you're thinking, those things don't have a cost to it financially, but they can have a cost to our well-being if we don't employ them, yes. right? Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned women in particular. Um, do you see any differences when you think about seeking mental health assistance and any kind of wellness around gender, around age, around race or ethnicity. One thing that I, I feel like I've noticed is there there is a willingness for younger generations coming up to seek mm-hmm. therapy, to seek coaching and affirmation in, in a way that was very much taboo for my generation. We were just told go to church. You know, like get yeah. Jesus. So what yeah. are you seeing yeah. in terms of differences? Yeah, you know, so um, you know, it's it's pretty loaded. You know, I, I work at um an alternative school and um a lot of my work um is with um African American families as well as the Hispanic population. Um but this also means I work with a lot of families and parents as well. Um and I think that um now in today's society we have to understand that the word family is is so convoluted and it's so different for so many different people. Um, and when I'm trying to link um, families and students to mental health services, um, you know, one of the biggest barriers, um, you know, the first thing that came to my mind with this question, you know, can be, you know, immigration. Mm. Um, you know, uh, um, a lot of my students and families, they, they don't seek out mental health services because they're undocumented. Um, you know, so... <laughs> so there's so many barriers before we can even discuss, you know, mental health assistance. You know, there's so many barriers, you know, um, I also think about, you know, my, my parents and my adults and children who are in poverty, um, who they're not thinking about, you know, mental health assistance. They're thinking about surviving, um, you know, and I also think about, you know, I think black women, we are going to therapy. We are, you know, getting coached. We are, you know, really doing the work. But I think that when we talk about grandma and them, um, grandma and them are still having some toxic stuff because grandma and them think that going to church is going to fix trauma. Mm. Um, (laughs) So I definitely think that there's some work generationally um that we you know kind of have to do um with our older generation um but I think that you know I guess this uh generation z x or whatever (laughs) um and you know millennials and you know black women I think that you know we are really thriving but I think there are some sub 
populations, um, you know, our um, Hispanic brothers and sisters. Um, when we talk about um, our LGBTQ population, you know, who are uh, the suicide rates are climbing uh, because you know they don't feel accepted. Um, you know, they feel judged. Um, so I think that there's definitely a lot of work to do. Um, but I think we've come a long way. <laughs> but I think we still got there is room to go. Yes. So I, I, I appreciated everything that you said there, especially when you started talking about this concept around generational trauma, because even if our younger sisters or brothers are seeking therapy, if they're still having these conversations with generations before them that haven't resolved things, then you're, you're, you're in a cycle of continuing therapy because whatever you're right. getting healed or delivered from, you're being sent right back because mm-hmm. we didn't have access to those um, considerations or services. We were brainwashed to believe we didn't even need it. There was this yeah. concept of being strong and, and, and what goes along with yeah. that. And even recently, I've read this um, little post that's been going around. It says, check on your strong friends. They are not okay. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that what is meant by that and how might we instead incubate a sense of care for everyone around our lives and within our community regardless if they identify either by self or others as being quote-unquote strong yeah so you know I, I think that you know if I'm transparent um you know for a long time I was the strong friend mm-hmm. right so um I was the social worker um you know I had this big personality and I think my friends felt like you know I could carry the weight of the world on my <laughs> shoulders <laughs> um and I think it came in doing the work and I think um because I've seen that post as well um on my Instagram feed on Facebook um and it's all almost as if we have adapted this sense that only strong people need help and and what does strong mean like you know that that is a perception what is what does strong mean um and I think that that's not you know true it's it's not just check on your strong friends it's we have to pay more attention to the people in our lives (laughs) yeah like that's it yeah (laughs) like we have to bring the same concern to all of our friends all to our homegirls all to our colleagues all to our neighbors our community like it can't just be this this false perception that oh she's strong she's gonna be okay oh maybe I do need to check in on her it's no okay sis let me check on you girl how you doing um you know regardless of our perception of what's strong or not um so I think we do have to do like unpack that like what does that mean come on here Sunday (laughs) sermon come on here because you know what is what does it mean to be strong because in reality you know and when we talk about faith and in the spiritual realm none of us are strong there's that We are all weak and we all need a savior. Every day. So um every day. Every day. So yeah, that that's kind of where I am with that. It's um, you know, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where this mentality of checking on your strong friends. Um, you know, I think is, you know, just checking on your friends, period. Um, is kind of where we need We're to be. We don't have to change that. Knowing yes, how you are, that, that will be changed. And on Instagram, by the end of the day, 
that's just how you rock out, which I love and, and I'm just in awe about. You talked a little bit about yourself and your own journey, just in terms of that question about you identifying and were the strong person. Can you recall a time in your life where you felt as though your faith was under fire? And, and how did you navigate that? Yeah. So, you know, um, when I think about that question, um, I actually think about three years ago, um, I set for my um, LCSW exam. Um, and for those who are listening to this, um, so after a social worker receives their master of social work, they can then have the option to sit for their um, LCSW exam, which is a clinical license um, to practice therapy. And um, I remember sitting for my exam, you know, I had studied so hard um, and I did not pass. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was so like, (laughs) I was so crushed. Like it was, I felt like my faith was, I was like, God, you know, I studied, like, I don't understand. Um, But, you know, I, I think in that, in that season, I think God, you know, really whispered to me, he said, you know, Shanetta, it wasn't that you um you failed you just didn't pass Mm. and I I think for me I that was a major setback but I think in that lesson and in that season you know God taught me that God works that's what he does his best work in our setbacks um and I look on that and I see now okay you know I'm sitting for my exam again you know I'm trying to open a private practice So I think that, you know, God, even in the moments, in the valleys where we don't understand what's happening, that is when God does his best work in Mm. us. Well, what do you do in those valleys? What what has been your prescription to sustain yourself until the change that we desire comes or the change that God has ordained comes? Describe what that looks like for you. What do you do in the valley? Yeah, so, you know, in the valley, it's a holistic approach, right? It's prayer, it's combating prayer with therapy, it's going to a nutritionist, it's, you know, getting a women's wellness exam, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, spending time with mentors, you know, it's making sure that even though I'm in a valley, I have to figure out how to get back to the mountain, right? So it can't just be, you know, prayer, like it has to be a holistic approach, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that even in those valleys, I think sometimes we get stuck. Um, and sometimes some some people are able to, you know, come out of that, you know, for days. Sometimes people come out of that for weeks. But it's all in tapping into the skills and resources that you need to kind of reach back up into that mountain. Um, I just think that sometimes we, you know, as, as, as church people, right, quote unquote, we say, girl, just pray about it. And it's going to be, you know, God going to do what he going to say he going to do, right. you know, and, <laughs> and while I am a radical believer of God and his word, God also, you know, creates positions and he creates resources um, for things to be redeemed. Um, so, so yeah, so I do think that it's a holistic approach in those valleys. Yeah, because even when we're in that valley, somebody else is looking at that and seeing yeah. that as a mountaintop experience. So it's important mm-hmm. to be able to model mm-hmm. and it's not being fake, right? It's not being fake. Yeah. It's, it's acknowledging, you know, I I was I had the wind knocked out of me, you know, and it yeah. wasn't as though, you know, from the testimony that you shared that you were trying to endeavor to do something that was not of God. In fact, 
being mm-hmm. a clinician couldn't be any more like God. So it's also like, well, God, I was getting ready to do what you called and purposed me to do, but he yeah. says not yet. And when I look at how you practice and how I watch you, God gets all the glory through your work because of that. It is not, yeah. you don't have that eye or selfishness in you at all. Your desire is to help people move and transform their lives. And so I'm grateful that you hung in the valley experience. Yeah. <laughs> he moved you from there. What yeah. is your hope as a believer? Yeah. You know, I, I think that my hope as a believer is, um, you know, it, it, in this whole coronavirus stuff, in this, this whole, and I do want to say this, I do think that, um, you know, I don't know if people have forgot that we're in a <laughs> pandemic. I think that. It sure feels like it a lot. <laughs> I think. I think because of the recent events of, you know, racism and oppression and um, all these global things centered around race and ethnicity, I think that people have forgot um, (laughs) that we're in a pandemic. But, you know, my hope as a believer, and and I've been having some thought around this, is um, my hope is that this place is not my home. Um, And I think that Everything that we experience here, whether it's suffering, whether it's glory, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, um, you know, my hope as a believer is that everything that I experience here on earth has a purpose. Um, And my hope is that God will get the glory out of every ounce, um, every trial, every every joy, um, every good thing that happens. Um, So my hope is that I remember that and my hope is that even in my hard days and my good days, my hope is that I can look to the come hills. On, come on, come <laughs> Because that is where my help comes from. Um, and just knowing that, you know, um, my hope is that I, I'm, I am excited when we get on up to a place where, you know, um, people are not in wheelchairs, that we don't have to experience racism anymore, um, that, you know, the coronavirus and these diseases will cease. Um, so that's kind of where my hope is. Ooh. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So I like to identify myself as a dangerously privileged curator of faith. How do you curate your faces? Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, and I love that you call yourself that. I would say for me, um, I would call myself a radical vessel. Mm. Um, curator of faith and when we look at that and we think about what does radical mean you know radical means being an advocate radical means you know um, rising above the occasion radical means um, you know being a woman who is on fire for Christ and I think as a vessel, you know, used by the Lord. Um, And I want to do that in a radical way and not care about, you know, what people think, what people say, but just really being radical, um, you know, in my faith from my, from my marriage to being a mom, to being a social worker, to, you know, just being a woman. Um, What does that really mean for me to be a radical vessel curator? Mm, I think it sounds pretty good to me. How about y'all out there? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any final words that you would like to share? Anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had or or just final words to leave the people with? Yes, I'm going to have you repeat that 
part one more time because it went out a little bit and then I heard the very end. Sure. So tell us again how we may keep up and keep in touch with you and follow you and know all the amazing things that you're doing. Sure. My Instagram handle is Shernetta J. Harold. And on Facebook, you can join my Facebook group um, if you are a wife um, and you are a believer of faith. Um, you can just simply type in the Bonafide Wife um, and you can meet me over there. That's a virtual um, Facebook group um, that is designed to um, offer support to women um, of faith. Awesome job. I am so godly proud of what you're doing out here in these streets. I pray blessings over you, over your work, over your ministry, over your family, and promise that you will join us again real soon. Absolutely. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us on today's edition of Practice No Filter. Take care till next week. Bye-bye.